All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. And we're joined now with a special guest, uh, Chanel from Pucker Up Sports. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at, at Chanelli37. Uh, Chanel, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, I've, I've been so excited to talk to you this weekend just because like your article came out and I, I read that and was just blown away by uh, what you had put in there and just how just how timely and, and impactful that is, especially now. And then watching how how much traction it got, how big it got. That was your first article with Pucker Up Sports, was it not? Yeah, it was. Um, I've I've written for other blogs before. Um, I write for Her Campus in my school's chapter, and those are usually more like listicle and like an online magazine type of thing that's more geared towards women and not really talking about other things other than like collegiate fun stuff. Um, right. But yeah, this is my first real, realish article. <sighs> Oh wow! Well, that's that's awesome. I know that it got some attention, even from like Akima Lu and other people that mm-hmm. were calling you their heroes. Which, I mean, it's, okay. it's just beautiful. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine what was going through your mind when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so think... let's let's kind of go through the article a little bit because I um, I think that it's so it's such a personal and um, beautiful thing that you shared uh can you kind of take us through a little bit of of the article that you wrote sure um you know a lot of people have been asking me like what inspired me to write it and Mm -hmm. honestly like there's just been so many injustices going on lately especially here in america and seeing people you know use their platform in, in a productive way, even if that means learning from past mistakes. Um, somebody who actually read my article is Kendall Coyne Schofield, and wow. um, I reached out to her. She has her email on her Instagram page for some reason. I was like, oh my gosh, like, let me just see like what happens. Like, I doubt that she'll even get it because she has a lot of followers. But even somebody like her who initially um, was against the kneeling during the national anthem for football and other sports, um, to see her not really walk back that statement, but say that she's educated herself and learned from it um, was something that I found really admirable, even though, like, obviously there can be much to say about, you know, why didn't you listen the first time? Um, But I think we have to normalize change in that type of way and normalize educating people about these things, which is kind of why I decided to write it um, when I did. But when I saw that the Hockey Diversity Alliance came together, I was like, this is such a big deal. And even though it was a little bit sad to see it happen in the sense of, like, stuff led up to this being created, um, I thought, like, you know, I love this sport. I'm a huge Boston Bruins fan, which made me nervous about coming on here because this is, like, connect <laughs> territory. I was like, I feel like I'm committing the ultimate betrayal right now, but because we won, I guess this is okay. Um But yeah, I think, like, I just really started reflecting on, like, how um, difficult the sport is to come into, especially if you're a girl, especially if you're somebody of color or difference. Like, it is a pretty white sport, um, which isn't to say that, you know, people of color don't exist in this space. It's just, like, we don't see them as much and we don't, you know, 
let them use our platform as much or, or highlight them as much as we should. And, you know, I thought like a combination of all those things were kind of the reason why I decided to write. So <laughs> that was incredibly well said. And uh, yeah, it's almost a little bit treasonous to have a, a Boston Bruins fan on a Vancouver Canucks podcast. But uh, for this, I feel like it's just so um, it, it, it transcends the sport. Right. And uh, when I think about the comments you said, even like I, I liked the ones, especially kind of around Kendall Coyne Schofield is, is that, yes, we can change. And it is important to acknowledge that that can happen and allow that to happen. Because if we, if we, I guess, vilify people for past things that they have since changed from, mm-hmm. and that's the important part is that they've since changed from it. It it doesn't allow people to to become allies or to become uh, people that are supporting um, more diversity, more equality, and a more inclusiveness in the sport that we all love, and we want that in the end. So, if if we have people that have had past dealings that aren't good or aren't right, I guess we should say then we need to have them be educated and and help them be better. And then once they do that process, we need to reward them and be happy that they're now part of uh, the the singular mindset, the push towards being all-inclusive and and better that way. Um, I know that you were saying that you have a health condition. Um, what, What is the health condition that you have? Okay, so I was born with something called osteogenesis imperfecta, and it's commonly known as brittle bones disease, um, but if I say that out loud, my friend who also has it will be like, it's a connective tissue disorder, like that's not the correct right. term, but that's the easiest way for people to kind of break it down a little bit. Um, another thing is like people say like, you know, kids like made of glass. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but like it's kind of something that you can wrap your head around a little bit easier. Um but other than that, I'm, like, really healthy for for me and my situation. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though, and I've, I've known personally people with the same condition, osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, and, yeah, totally healthy. Otherwise, it's just a little bit more fragile. That's really healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh yeah totally understandable so Mm -hmm. i I loved that just how open you were in not just explaining uh that this is a condition that you have but about what it is for for Mm -hmm. those that don't understand that Mm -hmm. um and that that can make you feel self-conscious especially in a sporting environment where people feel that i mean they see visual representations of of white people of people that are able-bodied or whatever uh male uh, right it's yeah. just like we have like one image of what hockey looks like mm-hmm. and i'm glad to see that starting to change but i think that's what makes stepping up and, and writing the piece that you did that much more important that much more brave yeah i was talking to um somebody about how like i realized recently that i've never seen myself reflected in sports media like on tv there haven't been that many commentators with my disability or or even ethnicity for that matter so uh i've kind of just really i'm not the type who has ever stepped into that type of field either like i'm not 
a camera person or, or somebody who could probably handle live TV well, but um, realizing that I've never seen it might be one of the reasons why I never pursued it, because uh, it just seemed like a space that wasn't for me. And, you know, like, that doesn't mean I have to be on the sidelines of a football game or on the ice or anything like that, because I've seen plenty of programs where guys are just sitting in a studio. And I think that is completely accessible for somebody like me. Maybe not literally accessible, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just something that it's definitely a possibility, but because I've never seen it and because maybe, you know, other girls or guys like me have never seen it, maybe they like, you know, that's not the space for me. But I think there is space for that. And, um, I don't, it's not going to be me, but like hopefully somebody else will be inspired to maybe try to pursue that. And if there are people out there that are doing that, who do look like me, like I'd love to freaking find you and like talk to you or, or learn or see. But, um, right now, like the only representation, representation I see of, of somebody like me or, or people with disabilities is when it's on like a news cycle type thing where like, what I categorize as inspiration porn. And, you know, like, although those stories definitely be, need to be heard and seen, um, I'd really like for just to be normal, like, to see a girl like me on TV and not in a way that's, you know, could be patronizing or make you feel sad or whatever. Um, but, yeah, those are some of the things I've been breaking down lately. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's that's perfectly said. It's just about normalizing people being in every position and that's all people being in any position and like you said it's there's there's tons of positions that are are completely accessible for uh anybody right like sitting Mm -hmm. in a chair at a at a desk is is something that 99 percent of people can do right and and so like as far as the demographic that we see there we see a very small uh difference between them generally their former hockey players or uh, been analysts forever and they're all like oh, white male dudes that are uh, are up there and it's mm-hmm. it's starting to slowly change but there's a long way to come and yeah. and I think that pieces like yours contribute to that change happening and happening sooner uh, for I want to just kind of go back a little bit to the the diversity alliance that hockey has put out and and I know that you had touched on that you were sad to see that it had to happen, but you're happy to see that it is happening because mm-hmm. we have seen that it has to. Um, what, what kind of like what went through your mind when you see the alliance form and and you're kind of you're saddened that it is ha- that it needs to be there, but mm-hmm. you're excited to see some more representation happening. For sure. Um well, originally, when I read um, Akeem's article that he wrote and the one that he was featured in, I was like, I was devastated, but I wasn't surprised. Um, and I think that that's probably the, the saddest realization to go through is that this culture kind of has like a cloud over its head of, of um, just like these standards that only apply to certain people. And, you know, sometimes you're afraid to speak out because you'll lose your job or you'll be blacklisted in some way and I think that that definitely happened for him um because I I think he would have had a completely different career had none of those instances happened and you know when you're that young like you definitely want to um 
not rock the boat in any type of way. And then obviously if you do, you kind of end up in his position. And um, it was really sad to see that for sure. But when I saw the alliance come together, I was like, obviously he's not alone, which again, really sad. Um, but it needed to happen because there's future generations coming up. I thought about, you know, Keandre Miller, what a terrible experience yeah. he had at such a young age. And, you know, social media is as good as it is. It's also really damaging. Um, and that was a perfect example. Like it was not supposed to be like that at all, but you have keyboard warriors out there and people who can hide behind a screen or whatever and just think that they can say whatever they want and to some regard have zero con- consequence for it. Um, and I don't think that person probably was held accountable in any type of way. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. like those things continue to happen and I'm like, I'm really glad that this alliance is together, like we said, but at the same time, you wonder why you know, in 2020 or, or next year or the year after that, like this has to keep happening or things keep coming out of the woodwork. Like it's sad, but it is really important. So hopefully they'll be able to, I don't know, like put some curriculums together for the teams and make it a really authentic experience in the sense of like, you know, like you hear HR is coming to like talk to you about something and you're like, Oh God, like I don't want to deal with this right now. But like, (laughs) You have to. You have to address yeah. things that make you uncomfortable and really um, really do the work because otherwise we're going to keep having to have minority groups, especially in this case, come together to try to fix a problem that they did not create. And I think that that is such a huge problem in itself. But to know that these guys are coming together and can hopefully create something out of it is really important. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I love that. And I know, like, I'm really excited just to see some action on the NHL's part about mm-hmm. this. And um, the, the hockey's been doing this Hockey is for Everyone uh, campaign for a number of years now. Uh, and we've seen really little to to no follow through on any of that. We just hear, mm-hmm. oh, it's a great campaign. It makes us feel good for a little bit. And then we move on. Right. And it's nice to see that there's some real change happening uh, now. And a lot of that has to do with the the diversity committee that has been uh, created. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the diversity alliance build and get bigger. Uh, I know that this is kind of the starting platform for it, and uh, I'd love to see like different women and and women of color and others represented all in in that um, diversity panel because I think that the more diversity that you have on that panel, the more uh, capable they are to actually fulfill their mission statement and what they're wanting to do and affecting change. So you never know what will happen, but uh, going forward here as, as 2020 has been incredibly unpredictable, <laughs> but uh, it's nice to see that there's some positive changes happening in the midst of all the chaos that's that's going on. And uh, I'm thrilled to have you on the show uh, to be able to talk about your piece and uh, and its effect in that. And I know, like, we're a small podcast here, but any small bit helps, I think. And, mm-hmm. and the more that uh, we have people talking about issues like this, and the more people that we have uh, normalizing it and and trying to be a voice for it, the better this is off. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us. I just wanted to give you the opportunity now that if you had anything that you wanted to finish up with, um, that any final thoughts that you can share those? 
Um, nothing really other than uh, my article is still pinned to my Twitter profile. So if you hear this, it'd be cool if you give it a read or a share. Um, I definitely did a lot of personal networking to get the views that I got on it. And that was kind of really out of character for me. I'm, I'm kind of just like would never promote myself in that way. But I thought like um, this was something that would be good to put out into the world. And much like, you know, coming onto this podcast, I was like, any feelings of nervousness or, or not wanting to speak out had to go away. I had to throw caution to the wind and take the opportunity to do things like this and really, not really get my story out there, but to hopefully create kind of like a domino effect in making positive change. So that's all. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Absolutely. So uh, I gave the Twitter handle a little bit earlier, so I would recommend anybody to go look that up. I'd take the, go through the pinned tweet and read that article there because it is so so powerful and and beautiful. And I, I just, I loved it right away and had to reach out immediately to see if you'd come on the show. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and enjoy Thanks the rest of your weekend me. here. everyone um this is sam and i've got brad with me as well as sarah from next said hey sarah how's it going hello hello everybody it's going pretty good what we wanted to do on this segment was sarah runs a blog called next said which i'm sure many of you have heard of um it's one of the very few blogs or podcasts featuring a female voice in our market which i think is pretty underrepresented but we're starting starting to make some inroads in that way. Um, Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you became a Canucks fan? Sure. I mean, I didn't, like, in when I was growing up, sports weren't, like, a super big thing in our house, just for whatever, like, watching it. Like, I'd, we'd watch, like, during playoffs, but it's never something that we were all, like, oh, let's, let's dig in. Like, when, especially when I was little, I was, like, I thought I loved, like, watching the playoffs, but I didn't really understand what was happening. It was just like, oh, everybody else is watching it. And then, like, we had this neighbor a couple houses down, and she loved the Canucks and hockey and all of it. So she would always invite us over to watch watch the games. And so whenever we'd go there, she would get so into it and passionate, and she'd, like, explain everything to do. And then before you knew it, like, suddenly I was quoting all the stats, every player from the current run to stats that probably everyone was like how do you know them like oh green top me and it's like and then my parents like so what and before you knew it it was like I had like our whole house suddenly everyone was like starting to get into it slowly and like within a couple of years I've I've I got everyone into a at least even my dad has a jersey let me put it that way um <laughs> and so when people find out I'm a hawks I'm like like, what? Like, it was really confusing for people at first. But then we talk and they're like, oh, so like you do know some stuff. I'm like, yes, a little bit. Because, you know, like, once you get into it, there's no going back whatsoever. It's like you dig deeper. And we all know the heartbreak that comes being a Canucks fan. Kind of make one day. We will all know the jubilation. One day. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What led you to start a blog about the Connect? It started basically because anywhere and everywhere I would go, I would just like 
like if you start talking to me about hockey or any type of sport in general, all of a sudden I would like tunnel vision, like go off on. I when I watch a hockey game, I get very passionate. Like I can't go to the arena and just sit there quietly and watch the game, especially if the refs have you know one of those nights that they always seem to have at the at Rogers Arena. Um, but like, so I would start just like going off on like a rant, like when we were, uh, whether it was at home or at work, oh, this one thing just really, and I would just get like really vocal. And then like, I would either write a whole long thing about it on Facebook or I would just go off on a rant. And people would be like, you know, maybe you need like a, maybe a blog would be a good space for you to write it all down. And then you can share with other people who kind of share that passion and find other people to like, it's like, maybe I will, because I do like writing. And Facebook status, you can only write so much before it's like, people stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just kind of started and then it grew from there. That's awesome. I feel like that's kind of your way of watching, right? I mean, I've never watched a game with you, but I feel like you're probably pretty passionate <laughs> watching it too. Yeah, some, yeah, it just, I can't help it. I try, I try to sit there and be like, okay, I'm gonna just take it all in. But once it gets ex like that Chicago game earlier this year, I was a roller coaster of emotions. One minute we're up to one, within a few seconds, Chicago's suddenly up 4 2, and I'm just like, what just happened? And yeah, the, the 7 5 game, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. It, it was like up, down, and then all of a sudden we were on high again. Patrick Kane, of course, had to be interesting for them, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I think everyone knows I get on a soapbox about is fan gatekeeping, and I know you and I have had some back and forth about that, um, where you've been really good about sharing your experiences with that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your experiences with that and why you've been why you've been so open about it on Twitter and kind of helping people to understand what it feels like for a lot sure. of fans to be treated that way? It's it's fan gatekeeping. It's just such a subject that people have so many opinions on. But it's like you can't tell someone how to be a fan because it just they're there's a thousand different ways to be it. Like we can all be a fan of the same thing in a totally different way. We don't have to agree on everything, but there, whenever you go to the arena or talk about hockey, you're gonna meet people with opinions and they may or may not agree with you. And when they have a different one from you, sometimes they will tell you vehemently how wrong you are in some very inappropriate ways, whether that's in person on social media or just send you messages or comments and then you have to block said people from being able to send said comments and messages because it's just too much. Um, like there was this one time, I can't remember what exactly I said, but I tend to be more of a find the silver line in everything and we all know the last like four or five years being Canucks said we've had a lot of not so happy memories difficult time like the seasons have just been a few bright spots but difficult to watch because we would fall behind and you all know oh 
this is not going to be good. And then slowly, little pieces like Besser and Petey started coming along. So even before the, the two of them got drafted, I would try and find the silver lining. I would find something positive in just about like any game, whether even if it was like just like the worst game of the season. I'd be like, well, you know, there was this or some, some sort of positive I would find in any game. And then I would get many, many comments or messages because why say something publicly when you can tell someone privately how uninformed they must be to have such an opinion or that you must be getting paid by the team. <laughs> Do I wish I could get that kind of money being paid by the team? Sure, probably wouldn't be allowed to tweet about the team as much as I do if I was getting paid by them, but you know, it's, it's very unsettling, especially when it happens in person. Like I could be sitting in the arena cheering for the Canucks, dressed to the nines, head to toe in Canucks colors, and be in like 30 seconds or less with a few words made to feel so unwelcome in that environment that like, I don't even want to be sitting in that chair next to those people anymore because I don't feel like I'm allowed. If that makes any, any sense. What do you mean like being like noisy in the arena? You mean like some people told you like, uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, that that's been told to me too. Like, I mean, just for being a girl who likes hockey or being right about something that occurred on the ice or just sitting there with my sister while we're watching the game and being told in words that I would rather not repeat <laughs> that maybe we don't belong there or critique for the jerseys we chose because we wore the Sedins to future Hall of Famers, but what do we know? I'll never, like, I've never understood that mentality. Like, I think... Oh, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, it makes yeah. no sense. And no. I'm sorry that you've, I'm sorry that you had to do that. And I think it's, I think it's really admirable and that you share these experiences on Twitter, because I know there are a lot of people who maybe don't have that experience and don't necessarily understand why it feels like you're being excluded from something that you really love and why that would be hurtful. And so I think you sharing your stories online and with us here is just really admirable and hopefully encourages people to keep expressing their fandom the way they want to. Well, thank you. I, I saw your, your story that you shared with about the whole Don Cherry thing when that fiasco went down. It was very moving as well. Thank you. Um, jumping to something a little more positive and maybe this is tied to kind of your experiences in hockey I think one of the things I really like about your blog is you do a lot of features of other fans and kind of give voices I, I to different fans. stories those are my favorite do you want to walk us through kind of your thought processes and how you built your roundtables and kind of your suspended series yeah so the roundtable I started end of Petey's first year I think it was yeah I started last season and then had a few this season and I was planning my next one and then the pandemic hit so I do have one in the works I just haven't sent it out yet um but it started because like I said the last couple seasons of before PD came it was like really hard for people to be positive and all I was seeing online was just all everyone was focused on all the negative connect stuff out there and I just 
it's too much some days. It was just like negative, negative, negative. Oh, everything's so horrible. But there are some good things we can be excited about. And then, so I kind of like sent out a tweet like, well, maybe other people would be interested in like having like a kind of discussion about things that are actually, you know, happy <laughs> or that we can be excited about. So when I reached out, I was like, anyone else feel like maybe it'd be nice to talk about things that aren't just all the world and skies falling apart in Canucks world. Like maybe we can talk about the things that we're excited about coming, like the Sedin's retirement or PD's first season or the potential that maybe we get playoffs that was all before COVID, but now maybe playing, who knows? But, you know, I just wanted to give people a chance to be like, oh, maybe we do have things that we're excited about. Maybe it's like we're not all, we hate everything. We want to tank all the time because we all know that doesn't work. But I just was, so then everyone, there was enough people that were like, actually, you know, maybe let's discuss these things. So then I reached out and kind of just, I didn't expect as many people to respond to it at first and then, I think there's been like five or six, five now of the round table. And then kind of with the suspended series, which so far has only had two, but I do have a few more in the works, just waiting on responses back. But um, that one grew because obviously we're suspended for who knows how long. And just, I like hearing other people's stories, how hockey or Canucks, they were, became just, entangled because once once the hockey takes over your heart it's like you, you can't go back and everyone has their own version of like how that came to be or who got them interested were they born into it did they find it as a distraction was it just something that came at the right time and every time I hear someone else's story it's like it's the same but it's also so different because it's from a different viewpoint and I just was like, well, we're suspended. What else do we have to do? Let's talk about how hockey came and changed for everyone. Similar to a series that I did the last couple summers. <laughs> Once again, another fan series. It was called True Blue, and it had people from, like, as far as Australia and the Netherlands would send in responses like, this is, like, how I discovered Canucks hockey or whatever. And they just – so it's kind of a new take on that one because now <laughs> – COVID has totally changed everything. Yeah. I've actually never asked you, Brad, how did you become a Canucks fan? Um, I did it. Well, basically because I always like grew up playing uh, like roller hockey, street hockey, et cetera, out here. Right. Uh, but actually, yeah, my mom was the hockey fan in our household. So awesome. she'd always my, talk mom, my mom is too now. Yeah. So she'd uh, tell me about like uh, Lyndon a lot. And then eventually like once I started like, being of the age where I could like recognize these people, like I started getting into like Naslin for Tuesday and the West Coast Express. At that Such time. Good yeah, and then uh, I just kept like sticking harder with the team. I was through 2011, and then actually, mo probably most recently, and when I became probably the most diehard was when I joined the Larshiders, and uh, mm -hmm. we started going to those games when we were awful. But it was just so fun to just be but drunk and loud. Loud up fans that actually cheered. Yeah, yeah, it's I, it's it's three twenty six is the fun section to be in. Like, you just get drunk and loud. Everyone has a good time. <laughs> I always say the best games. You know, I've been I've been a fan for a really long time, and I've sat through some pretty quiet arenas. I think I love every game that the Lars Hiders are at. There, it's just like a different oh God, in the you arena. Hear, you can hear them no matter where you are in the arena. It it's the best. I'm like, I love all the cheers that you guys do up there. 
Yeah, for sure. Come join us uh, next year if you like. It's a fun time up there always. Yeah. Um, I My story was more similar to Sarah's where I, I'm kind of like the first person in my family to become a fan. My parents put me in ringette when I was like six or seven um, and I was terrible. Like I have no athletic ability whatsoever. <laughs> um, but I, so they put me in goal and I just decided that I really liked Patrick Waugh and that's actually how I started becoming a hockey fan. I was, I was a huge abs fan when I was younger. Um, but then just he's because, yeah, he's so many things. Yeah. And so I started becoming a Canucks fan just because they were the team that we could go watch here. And that just, it just happened. And my dad was not into hockey at all. And now he's like a super fan and I take full credit for it. And my mom I'm a bit of a super fan out of the two. Yeah. Um, so thanks for joining us, Sarah. Um, what we like to do at the end of our segments is to give our guests an opportunity to have the final word and plug anything that you want to. Well, if anybody would like to join the suspended series, all you gotta do is find me on Twitter or send me an email at nuxet at gmail.com and we will set it up. Happy to have as many from Canucks or non-Canuck fans join in because who doesn't like to tell their hockey story? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, Thank thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. All right, everyone, welcome to the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. I'm Malcolm, and I'll be joined today with by Sam and Brad. And we are very lucky to have uh, the producer of Sportsnet 650 and host, Vic Nazar. Thanks for joining us this week, Vic. How's everyone doing on this beautiful Sunday? I'm pretty good. Sunny. I mean, I'm not in a new spay like Malcolm Erd is, but... Yeah, as you can see by my attire, I'm in full beach mode here today. I'm on uh, <laughs> new number three and uh, feeling pretty good. Pretty good. Nice. Nice. What's it? Uh, we just found like uh, I guess like a stray dog is walking around Ladner here. So I just oh, wow. gra- went, and, went and grabbed it some water and everything. Right now my mom's watching. I'm, well, I'm up here doing this. Nice. Congratulations on your new dog. <laughs> I know. That's the dream. Like I'm just like I give her the biggest puppy face. Like can we keep it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mom, it goes unclaimed. Come on. Yeah. That's our next contest. Name Brad's dog. Everyone's it. gonna say tequila or Tyler Mott. <laughs> yeah, tequila. Isn't one of the Canucks dogs' names Tequila? Yeah, Patterson's. It's Patterson's, Patterson, yeah. Patterson's brother's dog. Yeah. Well, how are you doing, Nick? It's uh, you know, dog by association. It's fine. You're like that's basically his dog. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I'm doing good. I didn't realize I'm allowed to drink in the show. I stayed sober all day on my holiday here. But um, wow, well, great. We will have to be more clear about that in the future because that is a massive <laughs> mistake, and I take full responsibility for that because. We have tried to set an example on this show. And that we, are, we, are, we are always drunk. <laughs> yeah, has Brad not made that clear? Have you recovered yet, Brad, from Wednesday? Was that? Yeah. Dude, that was a fun day. But yeah, I wasn't hungover. I don't know. I don't get them yet. I'm still young. Good for you. I don't get hangovers. Never had a hangover so, in my life. So, uh, that's, yeah. Vic, I hope you're with me on this because that's, that's part why. of why that's I love the nudes and the neutrals. Yeah. You know, she, I've obviously, I've drank with her many times and the, the bounce back is pretty remarkable. Or, or she's just really responsible. Like, like that's on the, 
Scale Sorry, to no. Okay, cool. Uh, no, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, did my line break up here? Yeah. We had, um, I think the worst time was we, we do an annual beer pong tournament at Malcolm's Cabin on Anus. And one year, my partner and I decided, not, not like my actual partner, my beer pong partner and I decided it would be a great idea that for every cup, in addition to drinking the cup, we would also take a shot of tequila. Um, yeah, that didn't end very well. I think we... First round exit, think, there you go. Yeah. It did, yeah. Not. it did not go well. They had to forfeit the tournament after, I think, the second round. And that's, again, where I was going, like, you know, longevity. I think Brad's got you beat. Like, you know, recovery for sure. And, you know, you can handle it. But I don't, I don't know how you quite, you know, can do long-term quite like Brad it's only he, only one way to find out. There's only one way to find out. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it on our next live stream. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You got the live stream this week, so yeah. we'll get into it. Um, should we should we get into actual business? Yeah, let's talk some actual hockey. We actually have hockey to talk about. How fun is that? That there's relevant news and not just you know hypothetical situations. Even though you know we're still kind of talking hypothetical situations as nothing is confirmed, but you know enough that we can assess what we can actually think may happen here. Did you watch the draft lottery, Bic? Yeah. Uh, in my commutes around town, I, I watched it off my phone. So uh, pretty, uh, it, it was hard to try to be as excited as we all should have been because I was on public transit just going around. So I could be like, oh my God, team placeholder one because eight people in masks around me did not care at all. Uh, <laughs> But I, I was like tweeting out a storm just because it was like, that's pretty cool history for the NHL. It's different and it's awkward and it's weird, but we should kind of embrace the weird in this time here. I thought it was kind of fun to see Bob Murray on his patio. That was, I was like super <laughs> jealous of his patio. Yeah, some of the shots were for guys were, were, were pretty creative. Like Stevie Y was just uh, pretty desolate after everything. Yeah. Still looked better than Lyndon after that shot. Yes. Oh man, that was the best. That was, he was so mad. Uh, Stevie Y looks totally different. Like he just—he looks like a different person. I—I I, I think it was the hair. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was the hair too. The Florida sunshine must be really well versus the uh, Motown <laughs> snow or something like that. <laughs> Who'd you guys think won the lottery? I mean, I guess LA obviously because they just keep loading up. Uh, it's so hard to say that when we don't know who the team is. So the play-in teams obviously all win. Uh, LA is just a huge winner just because, like, that prospect pool is already so hilarious. Uh, going into the year, people were excited about it. And that's you – know, even when you consider, like, Velarde has probably slipped a lot in people's ranks and in, in their eyes. But they come in with such a pool, and now they're just going to walk away with their choice of guys right, outside of – in the rare scenario, Byfield goes first. Uh, like they're going to be laughing. Uh, and if they don't choose Byfield, it's obviously somebody very high on their own list. Uh, they're a, a team, like they're the ideal. I think what everyone in, in Canucks fans who are the, the team tankists want basically. Now they didn't go out of their way to try to tank or anything. They lost naturally. But when you look at their, their whole asset pool uh, going four years, three years to replenish everything is kind of the ideal way to rebuild. They did it real fast. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, like rebuilds, best case scenario should take three years. Or, or actually, well, worst case scenario should take three years. You should be able to go through the whole process of getting 
finding nine guys who are capable to step into your lineup. And that's the thing. First step, don't trade your own picks. And LA did that. We did not. Mm -hmm. And then you only have to add a couple more first and second round picks like they did with Mazen and then, you know, uh, their backup goalie and uh, Clifford. You know, it, 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 it's not like you have, like, you know, people talk about Buffalo or they always go to these, you know, extremes of these rebuilds and, you know, to hope to, you know, make sure, you know, look like they don't actually work. But it's not that complicated. You only need a couple picks. You, there's only a couple of things you need to do and accept that, you know, like LA did, listen, we're not going to win this year. We're not going to try to go out of our way to make the playoffs or, or make this run. We accept who we are. And we're not going to try to do these stopgap measures that, you know, Benning executed so poorly. I think, you know, kind of the line I keep throwing out there on Twitter is it was a bad plan that was executed poorly. If the plan worked and he, you know, hit on the Linden Vase and the Spices and, you know, all those, you know, stopgap, the Barchies picks, mm-hmm. sure, th- this would be a different story and we'd be a lot further along than we are now. But the problem is all those guys, like literally what do we have to show for any of those players right now? I think it's Sutter. Uh, and, you know, he's essentially now someone who's going to cost us even more now to get off our cap situation as we actually round into this team. So anyways, I know I rant a lot about this, but I'm trying to make sure it's understood why it's, it's not that complicated. It's not this, you know, you have to trade every single player on your team and, you know, field your AHL roster for a year. It's a, a couple guys, you know, a couple UFAs that we've let brought on the vine, like, you know, Ham Hughes and things like that, that had we been a little bit more proactive, we would have been able to move them for an asset. And that's the difference between another first round pick and, you know, hopefully having that defensive depth right now that doesn't make us go, well, wow, I love our top six, but you look at our top four or four or d- defense and you go, well, what are we doing there? So we have to, as, mu- as much as it's going to suck, we're going to have to move someone that we love for a top four defender or we're just playing, you know, video games and hoping that we can win games, you know, seven, five each week, which, you know, simply isn't going to happen. Now that we have Malcolm's philosophy on team building, um, (laughs) if you were LA, would you trade your two for a three and five to Ottawa? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's not number one. Like, you're not getting Lafreniere, assuming in this scenario. Uh, yeah, because it, it's the ideal version of, hey, here's one more high-piece asset that you're going to walk away. And by all counts, again, it's still early, uh, but by all counts, fairly decent draft. Uh, if you're getting two more pillars in your organization, that's something that they should absolutely consider. Yeah, I'll be a no-brainer. I- I don't know if it would cost that much to move down one spot, though, because Ottawa has the uh, has the Islanders pick as well in this, this year's draft. So I think three plus that pick would be enough to get up to two without giving away that five pick as well. Yeah, I'm with you. To me, a three, three and a five for two. You know, I suggested to our good friend Dwayne, would he do uh, the three and the five for Eichel? And he was like, no, not a chance. And I thought, you know what? in a deep draft class to, you know, really fix some problems. You know, Eichel's clearly not all that happy. I thought that would be something that he would at least entertain. Uh, when he was on our show, he was talking about, well, you know, he wouldn't want the late first round picks that would normally come with a, a trade like that. But three and a five in a deep draft class like this, I, I would have, I, I'm surprised actually at his, his answer, but 
uh, to me for two no brainer for sure. But I, I I think you flip that back internally. Like, would you give a three and a five for Pedersen? If, if I was in Buffalo's situation where no, no, I'm asking already, you, like you're, yeah. you're, you're the GM of the Canucks, you get offered yeah. three and five. Like, are you saying yes? Cause, cause that's a similar question. It, it is a similar question. Again, it's the context that makes me say yes to Eichel and no to Pedersen. If, if this was a couple more years along, we've mm-hmm. still not made the playoffs and Pedersen starts to be vocal about, you know, what the hell's going on here. I'm not happy. I'm getting tired of losing. Then, and it's a deep draft class, then I make that move. When he's, you know, in his second full year, I, I wouldn't make that deal, haven't signed the contract yet. Uh, but, you know, again, totally, totally is fair, and I, and I understand where he's coming from. But to me, again, it's the context of where you are in that situation that I would make that move in Buffalo, and I wouldn't yet here in Vancouver. The, the issue with that is, is like, I, I, I'm kind of sympathizing with Dwayne here on this, is I, I would not take that because you're, like Jack Eichel's a superstar. Your best case scenario is those guys are maybe Jack Eichel. So the certainty that teams should be paying for should be much more than just two top five picks. And and I, I get the context of it all, but it, the talent evaluation is what's important there. And comparing Eichel and Pedersen, it's similar enough, but the certainty of what a superstar is, is at times I feel like undervalued at times. You know, I, I think... I, I see what you're saying. I don't know if it's undervalued, though, because I think, again, that's why we made the move for JT Miller, was it was a known asset. You know, he's already in his prime, and you give up what's potentially, you know, seven years, you know, from, you know, an 18-year-old to a 26-year-old uh, that you get to develop and have those guys on a cheap deal. So, you know, I, I see what you're getting at, and I understand why there is that value. I, I'd only disagree with the part where you say it's undervalued because I think that's why you see these, you know, trades for current players happen for you know futures all the time when the upside on the futures is clearly higher mm-hmm. I, I mean i love jt miller i just don't know if he's in the same conversation as eichel though oh totally no and, and and a three and a five is obviously significantly more than what we did give up for jt miller mm-hmm. no it's fair uh, one of the other questions that we've been banding about is, you know, let's say hypothetically, because again, going back to the hypotheticals, you got the option of keeping this year's first round pick or deferring it and giving up the 2021 pick. Wh- which one would you rather have? Uh, again, I don't know how much you go into the prospects, but uh, again, we, you know, are the people that we've spoken to kind of suggest that the 2021 class isn't as deep. And, mm. you know, if we're hopeful that we're on the upswing here, you'd hope that that next pick is going to be even later than this year's. Uh, so there's, of, of course, that risk that it becomes a lottery pick. But to me, again, that also speaks to the lack of confidence that you'd have in the team going, you know, we, we got to hedge our bets here because, you know, though we were good this year and, you know, with, with as young and, and good as our, te- our talent was, there's a good chance we regress. Uh, I'm usually a gambling guy myself. And, and, yeah, you know, risk for the upside kind of thing. But just from a, 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 how you construct your team, and if you have this uncertainty hanging over you of your pick is going to go somewhere else and you have to play out a season, it feels like there's hurdles to trying to then plan the next move. So, and, and anything can go wrong, right? Patterson can get hurt, Marshall can get hurt, Damco doesn't take a step, whatever it is. 
I, I know that sucks. And we're talking in hypotheticals here, obviously, but of course. a 13th overall some odd pick, you kind of have to bite the bullet and say it, it makes more sense from a just pure stress relieving aspect of, hey, I can start planning everything moving forward. We'll give up 13 now. We have ours next moving forward. And it gives you the foundation of how you want to build everything moving forward. Whereas if you go into the next season and you, it, let's say you perform better than you thought. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we actually had a first round pick to utilize, to bolster this roster in any manner that you wanted to. I know that's risky giving up multiple first round picks, but it gives you more options down the road. But, you know, if you're planning for the best and, and I'm with you, because again, that's part of the reason I didn't like the trade at the beginning, you know, when it happened was why do you want this risk, you know, hanging over you for one, potentially two seasons. Uh, but, you know, again, if you're, if you're thinking that you're going to be on the upswing here uh, and next year's draft class isn't as deep, you're, you know, probably getting a guy there if it's, you know, 20 plus that isn't making an impact for, you know, three to maybe four years. And that, at that point, you know, are they really going to be able to help this core in their prime like you'd want them to? So, you know, to me, that's the risk on the other side, too, is, you know, if everything goes well as, as, as you want it to, well, now that asset goes from someone who probably could help us in the next two, three years to someone that's, you know, further out than that. But that's the same problem as before is like the Lyndon Vay stuff, right? Of we're betting on projections, right? If you're constantly betting on projections, eventually they're not going to cash in and, and you're left with a bigger receipt than you should. The, the self-evaluation process that teams don't go through enough of, hey, this is where we actually are. That to me is, the Canucks are in that, that meaty middle uh, and if they're lucky, they get out of it moving forward. But you have to consider where they are in the moment. It's to be irresponsible to say, oh, we are up on the upswing and we're going to be here next year. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't know where they're going to be. So you take, you claim what you can of, of the information you have at hand. And they know there will be a lot, there'll be a, a team slotting for their draft pick. And you take that and you just say, this is the trade, done. And now we as a franchise can put that in the rearview mirror. Totally, but again, at risk of it potentially being a better asset. And I'm of the opinion we don't have, you know, again, a ton of assets in the cupboard to continue to trade. You know, it's probably going to cost us someone that we don't like uh, to move out one of these bad contracts as well, depending upon where Louis Erickson is at. Uh, so, you know, to me, we don't, you know, we need to be as careful with the assets that we have, especially the good ones like first-round picks as we can. Uh, so, you know, to me, again, if that's going to be a potentially impact player this year, you need to kind of almost double down on it because, again, I, to me, Lyndon Bay was the more known pick. So that's kind of the converse of what I'm saying. The, the draft pick has the upside. It can be, you know, complete boom or complete bust. You know, when you, you trade for Lyndon Bay because it's a more known entity uh, and, and, again, it has a more limited ceiling, uh, but, you know, more known range because he's an older player you know, played at least semi-professionally. So, uh, I, I, you know, again, so softly, I, I didn't mean to use his name, just on the idea of like, hey, yeah. we actually think we're a good team and if we get a couple of pieces and they and they blossom, we'll be a top 10 team. It's more just, uh, uh, they built that team based on projections and it really didn't work. It's, so, you know, no arguments here on that for sure. <laughs> but again, you know, they did it by taking draft picks, which is a strength of theirs and trading it for players and they've clearly not been very good at pro evaluation. And they continue to do that, you know, because there's a list, I believe it was Harmon who put out 
of, you know, you took out all those rebuilding type moves that they did or retooling type moves. And it's, you know, pretty much at this point, nets out Brendan Sutter. Yeah. Like the, the first three years did not go well. Uh, yeah. and, and I've said this before. It's like, I'm surprised Jim Benning was given a second contract, but based on what's happened in the last three years of the, what the rebuild has actually looked like, it's been more along the lines of the teams that do have success stories that are able to rebrand in three years and figure it out. Uh, now they're still in the path. They're still in that middle part, but people are squeamish on the idea of his entire tenure, which is fair uh, because it's six years and it's, we, we, we rehash Ryan Kessler trades and we rehash Lyndon Bay trades, Sven Berger. We do that because it's on his record, but I try to treat it as two different tenures. That's not necessarily fair, but that's how I choose to look at it. Cause the first plan failed miserably. And the second half has looked better, but probably not as efficient as it can be, but it's been significantly better. This might surprise a lot of people because I think I get a lot of flack for this. Like I was, I get told all the time that I like hate on gym betting, which I actually don't, I don't think I do certainly not to the degree that maybe Malcolm does. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've said before, I actually, I would tend to agree with you. I don't think that at this point it makes sense to fire him. Like, sure. There are a lot of things that I take issue with, but I do think that he's shown a marked improvement, especially over the last year and a half. What, what has he done differently than before? You know, I was actually just going to ask, you know, tell me other than its success, how was the JT Miller trade any different than the Good Branson trade? They still took young picks and prospects and moved those for an older player who was established to fill a need. To me, again, obviously the success is different, but it was the same move that he's doing. And, and honestly, but I, think I haven't your, seen... I think, your return, I think your return matters. I think that even, even if I took JT Miller as he was at the time and not like the way better player he's become in the last year, on the face of that trade, JT Miller was a better player than Good Branson was when he came over. Uh, there was a lot of reason for excitement with Good Branson. Florida was pissed that they'd moved him. That, you know, and it was the analytic trade that, that you know, kind of started that whole fire in, in Florida. So, you know, and, and if it wasn't for then subsequent injuries to Good Branson, remember, I don't think he played a full season in his full three, first three years, uh, you know, that derailed him too. And, and fairly, you can say that with Sutter as well. Uh, but, you know, again, I just, it comes back to, you know, the process. And, you know, again, I, I've obviously, I've heard the, you know, two, two ten years, I refer to it as the but Linden argument. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I don't actually see any difference in the moves that he's made pre and post Linden, if, if we want to use that as kind of the marker. Yeah, my marker is usually just the the contract extension. When it clearly, like, the first contract extension was stunning for everyone in the city, fans and media alike, because GMs who fail spectacularly in their visions don't get second contracts. Uh like, I understand the process argument, but, like, eventually, those, those moves in the past few years have worked out. To discount the idea that they do work out, that they have improved the overall standing of the team, it feels like you're just betting, it's like, oh, the next move is going to be bad because the process is terrible. But they do have tangible results of what they've had for their, their, their last few moves with JT Miller, with Pedersen, with Hughes and all that. Like, that has worked. 
I think my biggest concern going forward and maybe the part that I haven't seen as much improvement as I'd like to see is obviously cap management. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, like some of the, his re-signings have been better than his free agent signings. But for me, I think the big test is going to be, I, I think this offseason is a huge test. I think what he offers to Foley, what he offers Markstrom, who he goes after and whether or not he can improve that blue line because of his previous deals, those are going to be the biggest test for him. Yeah. This by far is like the toughest offseason Japan has had. And I know you think you can probably say that going into every offseason and be like, Oh, well, well, this is the tough. It's like the old, this is the biggest game of the season. Uh, just, I know they don't have cap space, but I do think they have cap flexibility. And that to me is always more important than space. Because uh, if you wanted to be aggressive, they can make some tough decisions on like a Brandon Sutter, like a Tanner Pearson, like uh, I, I think the Louis Erickson, I, I have a feeling that there will be like a natural conclusion to that. I don't, I don't, I don't see teams wanting to take on his contract. And, and I don't know if there's an asset that the Canucks have to attach to it. But I do think there's a natural conclusion with that one that helps alleviate the $6 million. So if you wanted to be aggressive, uh, there's ways to lessen the, uh, the temperature of Canucks fans that, are, that look at the cap space and be like, wow, we have three big guys that we need to sign really soon. Uh, and, and it'd be great if they're all it, – it'd be great if I don't have to panic about having to move one of those guys away. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, you see Benning and he's got so much confidence that he doesn't have any cap issues. And we've all got cap friendly (laughs) and we can go and we go, well, where are you allocating these dollars? So to me, he must know something that we don't. And to me, that Louis Erickson thing is without question, the most logical. Uh, If we can get rid of that, then a lot of these problems go away. Uh, But I'm still, well, you know, I'm a hopeful and I'm, happy that we haven't signed Markstrom if the rumored ask is he wants you know over six on a long-term deal I think we can't make that move um you know to me he's the guy that we walk away from as well as Tanev and then we go about you know rebuilding that defense um but you know you're right and and again I, I have said this already too this is the first summer he has a real cap crunch is the word that I'm using you know mm-hmm. you, you won't just be able to naturally bring back the the team that we have on the current salary structure. So something will have to happen where before he's always just been able to add because he hasn't had the cap, you know, problems. So it will be really interesting to see where he goes from here. Uh, and, you know, he, he's going to have the chance. I can't imagine anything's going to happen between, you know, now and, uh, and now and then. So, uh, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best. I, I hope to be proven wrong. I've, I've said this all the time. I, you know, love nothing more than to go on an apology tour and say I was wrong and betting was right. And, you know, I'm really glad you're putting cup. I'm glad you're putting that on the record because I get so many people who are like no like he'd rather he'd rather not win a cup than be wrong and I was like I feel like there's a lot of projection yeah. going on here like there's right. a lot of projection there's nothing that Malcolm would like more than for the Canucks to win a cup and to be totally wrong that's yeah, the he's gonna, that's Malcolm's the gonna make a lot of yeah. I'll tell you right now so like Anytime Jake Vertanen, like I've been critical of Jake Vertanen, right? And I'm just using him as an example here. Anytime he scores a goal, like my Twitter goes off of, oh, look, he scored a goal. You're going to change your opinion. It's like, no, not really. My opinion is still the opinion. But if I'm wrong, that means he's scoring. If he's scoring, that means the team is doing well. The team is doing well. More people are going to listen. Like, I I have no problem being wrong. That's how we actually kind of learn more than anything. Uh, it, It just, 
I think people think that my process is more important than the overall team results. It's if people are succeeding, that's a good thing. Like I'm happy for them. I don't care so much about my own take. I'm willing to be right. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think of this, you know, what's just happened here with the the draft lottery and all the kind of rules and everything that goes, you know, along with that. Cause you know, I'll admit there's that little bit of conspiracy theorist in me. Well, first who thought, there's no chance that they're going to let a placeholder team win because they won't want that kind of chaos. You know, they like, they actually like the parody in the league. They don't want to encourage tanking. So I thought that it'd be like, okay, you know, a little handshake, wink, wink. Okay. Spin the wheel again. So I was stunned that there you know, was a placeholder team that actually won, but now I can't help but think of, wow, what a great story for the media. What, you know, how awesome is this to talk about? You know, again, you know, for you guys in 650, what a fortunate turn of the news cycle to be able to, you know, focus on this right now. Uh, you know, what do you think? Do you think that there's any, you know, because of course Canucks fans, we, we actually, I don't know if you saw the graph, we're no longer the worst hurt team by the lottery process. Detroit has finally now overtaken us. So that feels good right, yeah, right off the hop, yeah. right? Uh, but, you know, it can't help but feel that we've been, you know, screwed by this process. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that there's anything to, a, wow, what a convenient media story for us to talk about right now? Uh, or do you think that's just complete crap? Uh, I think that's complete crap. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know how else you'd answer it, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think. I, like Gary Bettman's salary, I think, is like nine and a half, ten million dollars. Like you're not risking that so Alex Lafreniere can end up in Montreal or he can end up in Toronto. You're just not risking that. He gets paid ten million dollars a year. You're you're not putting yourself on the face of a conspiracy theory to say, hey, we just really wanted Austin Matthews in 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 Toronto. We really we, it's probably better if Austin Matthews went to Arizona, right? Like logically, people are not risking that sum of money for a best case scenario for one player who may or may not even work out. Well, are you familiar with the Patrick Ewing draft in the NBA? Okay. So that one, see, okay. This okay. is what lends itself. Sorry. To it. Frozen yeah, envelope. Yeah. I know. Frozen envelope. Yeah. That's one that I actually look at and say, ah, something's a bit weird with that one. Cause it's visual. And I, I get the, the, the secrecy of these lotteries, but that's when you look at it. And it's like, it looks a little strange, but still, I still don't think uh, the defense rests, Your Honor. Yeah, I, I, it, <laughs> just because one case is kind of suspicious does not make all the rest very suspicious. I, I, I'm just saying, though, it's not a completely crazy idea because there's good reason to believe it has happened once in a different league. But you know, they wanted to get a superstar to New York, mm-hmm. and they did it. But what's the downside for the NHL for Vancouver not to be a thriving market? Well, they don't need us to be a, a thriving market. The Canadian cities are going to be thriving no matter what. We we still go. We still, you know, we barely broke our attendance streak in the last couple of years. You know, the TV revenue is going to be there. You know, people are going to be making podcasts and listening to the radio and doing all that kind of stuff. So they don't, they don't really need us uh, to be, you know, to have the first overall pick to win a cup. They need teams like Carolina, you know, who's won Shvestikov, and other teams that to become relevant so they don't have to relocate them, which costs them a whole bunch of money. So, you know, hey, I don't know about that. Is, yeah, but I, don't like, know about I, I understand there's passion in this market, but there's significant more sales when the team is good locally that get poured into the franchise. 
So if your Canadian teams are your strongest and you can make them stronger, like that's a good thing for the league. And, and I'm with you. I think we were just kind of forgotten after, you know, the kind of 2011, 2012 years that we were so good. Okay. Hey, we can kind of put cruise control on Vancouver uh, because, you know, they're, they're doing so well, you know, they're, you know, breaking records. They're already supplying the league with so much, uh, you know, hockey related revenue already. I just like, you know, again, obviously I, by no means was I expecting you to go, Oh yeah, totally something. And you know, here's the scoop that would, uh, would have been great for our episode, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, no, by no means is that our expectations. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give you the media signal, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Here's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So just generally on the lottery results, uh, you know, again, I think we touched on that LA was probably the big winner. Uh, any other thoughts on, you know, anything that happened there? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get your guys' impressions because uh, the very little discourse I, I saw uh, was people framing – Hey, should we win the plan round, or or do you risk getting first overall? Where like where are the three of you guys? My my thoughts on it is if we win that plan round, we definitely deserve to be in the playoffs. So like, why not? And then uh, if we lose the plan round and we don't win the lottery, we still get a prospect that's going to help us. And we lose the plan round, we win the lottery, we get a dynasty, and it's time to start putting where I'm going to put my Stanley Cup uh, tattoos on, right? So. That'd be my thoughts on it. Like, uh, regardless, I'm. It's win, win, win. It could. It couldn't have worked out better for us. Uh, I know a lot of people frame the team tank thing like uh, they're not gonna support the team once the puck drops. But like, everyone knows once the puck drops, logic flies out the window. We all just gonna want. We want many Tyler Mott shotgun Jakes, like <laughs> PD PD Hughes hat tricks as we can, right? So. Yeah, my I'm, I'm with Brad. I think I think it's absolutely win-win. Um, and I, you know, listen, I've tweeted a lot about I'd rather take a shot at Lafreniere. I think it's I I think it's way too tempting to have a shot at him. And like, obviously, I understand the odds are 87.5 percent chance you don't get him. And I totally think Brad nailed it. Like, people seem to think that if your team tank, it means that when the game happens, you're sitting there like cheering for the Wild to score. That doesn't that doesn't happen. Like I'm just rationally able, if I'm sitting on Twitter having an argument, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I think you should take a shot at Lafreniere. When the game starts, I'm not sitting there cheering for Minnesota. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't happen. That's not how it works. It's just like, if I, if we end up losing a game, I'll be like, oh, well, sweet. That's like one step closer to a shot at Lafreniere. It's for me, it's expectation management. It's, I think Don Taylor calls it the happiness hedge. Like why not? And, and I'm with you guys too, you know, like at, at no point, even in the last couple of years when it's been very clear that tanking has been our best option. Am I sitting there going like, okay, go opposite, you know, opposite team, you know, hopefully we get our absolute asses kicked. Uh, you know, you never want to go over 82 and, you know, or even as bad as Detroit did this year. Um, but I think, you know, logically, and, and I think that's the other thing that drives me nuts about the team tank argument is that people think that you're suggesting that the players, hey, players, go out and try to lose this game today. Like, to me, that's just preposterous, and it, it drives me nuts that people just try to keep trying to pigeonhole the argument into that. No one is suggesting that, hey, players, go give it 50%, you know, try to get scored on and lose this game, you know, three games, thanks for coming back from COVID, and then you'll have a, you know, 12.5% chance of laughing there, like, it's please stop with that argument. It's not what anyone is suggesting. It's more like Team. suggesting play Demco for the entire series. 
so yeah so who yeah. tanks is the coaches and by way the management who you know again demco should have played more games this season you know to test out and find out if we really what we really have in him moving forward for this markstrom decision so to me playing demco is a long-term good decision for the canucks you can say hey markstrom's you know knee he really needs the surgery so he can have a long healthy career I don't know why he didn't do that anyway as a pending UFA. That seemed really dumb, but is also, you know, coloring my opinion of why we shouldn't re-sign him because, uh, you know, God knows he could have another injury like that. And, you know, the next one probably is a season-ending injury. Uh, so, you know, those are kind of the things. To me, it's the, the team tank comes, I said, said in another tweet, in that half second after we get scored on that, oh, you know what, it's not that big a deal that we just got scored on or it's not a big a deal that we just lost because – you know, the bigger picture matters more. And, you know, again, we've never had a 12.5% chance at the first overall pick. Uh, and, you know, to do that, normally you have to suffer through a season that sucks of depression and, you know, barely watching games because you, you just hate having to do it. Uh, so we had a, you know, uplifting season, you know, spiritually all the Canucks got to be feeling good about themselves. You know, so if they come back and they lose three games, I'm not worried that, oh, my God, you know, now we have a losing culture and these guys are, you know, going to become like the, you know, old Edmonton team or Buffalo or, or any of those kind of situations. It's, it's too short and it's too weird a circumstance. I can't imagine, you know, guys like Patterson and Hughes having their ego actually dramatically affected by this, honestly, in any way. There's a pretty big difference that I think you nailed there between – Losing three games in a play-in round where you have no fans in the arena, none of the fans can be in bars, like we're all watching from home versus like what Detroit had to slog through this year and your fans just being upset every other night for eight months. Like there's a pretty big difference there. And that's to me why this is a unique opportunity and one that you kind of be a little tempted to seize. So I, I, I do... I, I have more of an issue with the way the conversation gets framed of, oh, it's their chance to get Lafreniere. It's like, that's a certainty that you're offering versus oh, what good is winning one or two rounds, which we're talking about a probability there, right? It's maybe they win one or two rounds, but maybe it goes further. And it's the old argument of, you know, wait and see kind of thing, which I know people get really mad about in the city at times, but it gets framed versus you have to win 19 games for the same reward, basically where players mentally will look at it as, Hey, we have to play three games or we have to win three games. And then you get another set of games and then, Hey, we just have to win four games. And then you get another set of games. Nobody actually rationally looks at it. Like at least nobody in the organization will say we have to win 19 games to achieve a goal. No, they're looking at it as let's stay alive for four more games. And then, that that changes your odds as you go along and it gets framed of well they have a what three four percent chance of winning the cup well, realistically they got a 50 percent chance of winning this first series and then the next time they get a 50 percent chance of winning that series and so on and so forth that's how it gets framed and i just think it's kind of disingenuous to, to put it of 12.5 percent chance at changing the franchise versus maybe winning a round or two uh the I other part yeah the, the other part you were saying malcolm of of like long-term big picture there of playing Thatcher Demko that ignores the, the reality of what Travis Green goes through. Like if, if, if he does what you do of playing Demko and they miss the playoffs, Jim Benning gets fired. 
And if Jim Benny gets fired, a new GM comes in, and he's going to say, hey, why'd you play Demko so much? Maybe I don't trust your judgment, and you might be out of a job. So job preservation, whether fair or not, goes into a lot of decision-making. And coaches are always going to value two points. I get that, like, you should think about the, the bigger picture of the organization, but people don't have history of that even in our own jobs right there are times where i think hey man i should have the hottest take today and that will be what drives people to me eventually i'm going to run out of takes and i'm going to be the guy that people go oh what an idiot right i play for another day at times and coaches and and people think logically about that but as you said he would get a chance to defend why he played Demko more to the new place of, of, of weakness a place of hey you missed the playoffs I'm a GM that wants to make the playoffs. I've got Pedersen. I've got Hughes. We've got to go to the playoffs here. And, and you've if, also got Markstrom who Markstrom wants to play as many games as possible. Like yeah. a part of it is you keep your hot goalie hot. Mm-hmm. It, 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 if, if, he, if It's perfect. If he feels slighted, he's telling his agent, Hey, by the way, why aren't I playing? Can you call Jim and who can call, talk to Travis? And by the way, that agent has a slew of other clients that he, they have to talk to. It, it just, it, but, it, it perpetuates. But you know, but the opposite's true too. Demko is doing that this year. Demko's agent was talking about why aren't I playing more? You know, you know what what's going on here, and forced you know some more games. So it, unfortunately, it's not just Markstrom is the only person that we need to keep happy in a vacuum. And from an organizational standpoint, and yeah, this would come directive down from the GM is we need to develop our goalie to find out what we have for you know in him. So we need to see if we can go with that way or we need to you know make a, a huge piece of our cap for this 30 going on 31 year old Markstrom who right, God knows it, how much longer he's gone it's not in a vacuum because JT Miller is looking hey why isn't our best goalie playing I like these guys value two points I, you know he just did an interview with Murph uh two weeks ago uh like he didn't even know that the trade the, the first round pick that we have de- discussed ad nauseum for over a year now He's like, he was asked, it's, do you think it should go this year or next year? He's like, I don't even know. Like, these players don't think like that. They will notice, though, that their best goalie isn't playing, that they need to get two points tonight, and the guy that's been great, understand that it's the big picture. It's like you got to take care and maintain the whole ecosystem. And, and, you, and absolutely, you, you and to consider, me, that's – got to consider the, the feelings for players that are striving for two points tonight. But to me, again, that's part of the job that is bettings that I think he does so poorly – is communicating that message. You know, obviously I haven't played on sports teams like this, but with elite sports teams, what you did is you'd explain why you needed to pull certain strings to your other athletes all the time. And you'd explain the big picture to them that, you know, again, we're not only just playing this year. Again, if JT Miller is coming to me or Patterson or Hughes, I go, well, JT, are are you willing, or is it, you know, game 76 of the first year of this series that you're worried about winning or is it winning a cup here? Because if you want to win a cup, what we need to do is develop our team the best we can. And there are circumstances that it's not, we can't just be so short-sighted and say it's about tonight's two points. It's about 16 wins in the summer to get us a cup. And to me, again, that's both Benning and Green's job to sell all the players on that vision. And I don't see that happening. But I think when you have a team like this one where they think, they genuinely believe they have a chance to win every night. That's a hard, that's a hard sell to that team. But they don't. 
<laughs> we all no, know that. I'm not, I'm not talking about like what we as fans rationally think on paper this team has. I'm saying that if the players believe that they can, they have a shot at every game, which clearly from the interviews that they've had this year, they do. How do you, how do you sell that to them as the GM or the coach? I look at it this way a lot is like not to put your, your guys' jobs on the line here, but have you ever questioned someone above you in your line of work? What if, if you work in retail restaurant, or if you've ever questioned someone above you and then they try to rationalize it and you don't agree the next decision that they make, you're going to say, eh, I'm not so sure that like, that's the same way like players in a bad way of saying it is are entry level employees to some degree. And the people in middle management if they don't agree with them, it, it, it kind of starts that dissension among the ranks. But isn't, isn't that this green being the, you know, the players are the employees and green is the employer, you know, and, and so you're right now you're suggesting that the pl- employees are questioning green, but no, he's I'm in saying, the position it, of authority. In the scenario of them starting Demco repeatedly, because like, Hey, we have to do this big picture thing. Their goal is to win games. If they don't feel decisions are being made, to benefit them winning games, that's going to start start a line of questioning of like, hey, what are we actually doing here? Yeah, you can rationalize it to them of, hey, it's a big picture thing, but their goal is win games. That's their job. And, 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 and I'm, I'm with you. I'm not suggesting it should have been 50-50 all season or anything like that. But Markstrom played the lion's share of the games, especially when he was either healthy or, you know, let's just call it in North America. The, the bulk of the games that, Demko played were you know once Markstrom was unavailable so I don't think at least to me we were anywhere near approaching that that you were going to get you know dissension amongst the ranks of the players going whoa 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 why is Demko getting all these starts I think again we needed to balance it a little bit better than we did for this reason of we have one as a pending UFA and a cap crunch and if we had confidence in Demko that goes a long way in solving this pending problem that we have. I think what it comes down to, though, Malk, is that I think it's – I think what the fundamental issue here is, if you were, like, the New York Rangers and you were Jeff Gordon and you put in a full-page ad in the New York Times and said, look, we're not going to be contending for a few years, it's a lot easier to sell that message. When you're Jim Betting and you've gone out and said, what we want to do this year is make playoffs, you can't sell that message. And so, fundamentally, it just comes down to a disagreement about his, where he views the team as being. Sorry, yes. To me, Jim, you know, his mistakes are, you know, go all the way back. Like, he's, he's made, yes, he's made continued mistakes, and these are some of them up until this point. I know, again, I'm not expecting him to all of a sudden come out and go, you know, hey, guys, pandemic, we're doing everything different now. I'm, I'm pointing out some of the errors he's made along the way. Again, errors that he's made in the last three years that, to me, are consistent with the years he's made in the first three years. Uh, that leads me to believe that he's not changed in any way. He's just been slightly more successful, uh, you know, guessing at some of the NHL players he's acquired. Um, I'm going to change topics completely because we've managed to run a long yeah, wow. time and go pretty far off the draft. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today, Vic, and really happy that you're willing to talk to us about it is um, kind of the for lack of a better word, the incident or the difficult situation that happened on air um, with you and your co-host Andrew Walker last week, um, just talking about the CHL class action. Um, Can you walk us a little bit through um, how for a radio station or for yourself as a producer and a host, how, how does that, how do those kinds of delicate situations get dealt with after? 
sorry, uh, so after the conversation? Um, during or after, kind of happy for you to walk us through it however you want to. Yeah, I mean, we have a, so during the, the whole thing, uh, you'll hear, and I'm only gonna speak about what I, I said in, in the segment, uh, but like generally speaking, I'm very pro conversation. I like hearing what someone has to say. I like re rebutting. I don't believe broadcasting has to be kind of the, the formula we see now of two people yelling at each other and that's good radio. I don't kind of think, I, I like having the, the, the open conversation. Uh, so when you hear me in that thing, I, I'm letting one finish his thoughts uh, and then kind of trying to invite a conversation. Whether the, what's articulated kind of crosses a line, I, is fair, um, a fair criticism, but I'm still going to, I'm not going to jump down someone's throat ever. I just want to get under, understand someone's point of view. And generally speaking, that's how we as a show approach things. Uh, we're going to just talk and we've talked about a, a myriad of different things, obviously with the, the world, Black Lives Matter, the, the issues that happened uh, eight months ago, actually probably longer than that, uh, in October with racism and hockey we talked about that it, so many incidents have happened that we've had great conversations afterwards it's exactly kind of what's transpired we talk uh we say hey what worked what didn't what did you think uh and i shared my points internally i don't think i need to share them here uh but like we had conversations about how we felt it went and how we prepare for those are usually fairly open-ended it's because we build the show on trust and discipline that when we've handled previous instances we know these are big topics that people want to hear about and so we do talk about them and we kind of trust each other of how we're going to manage the conversation and i think obviously for anyone who's on air or you know for us running a podcast it's always it's hard when you're having these conversations in the moment to try to jump in like we i think it's really easy to criticize and obviously I did um, criticize people for saying things on air after the fact but it's pretty hard in the moment to kind of try to rein other people in or kind of curtail the conversation what are some tips you have for handling those things when they start when you kind of start to see it happening in in real time uh, I mean something like this I uh, just for all those listening like we're on zoom right now right? It's a lot easier when you can visually see something. We're broadcasting from home, right? So yeah. I, we can't see each other at all. Uh, and so it's been a really interesting experience of trying to learn each other's habits a lot more. And when you go through the reps of each other, you guys talk all the time. You'll know more often when Malcolm's ending in sentence or, or how he talks or when Sean's talking, you kind of pick up certain cues of their inflections and not. Uh, we, uh, at least I, I'll speak on my behalf. I listen to those guys a lot, even off air. I'll go back and listen to old shows, try to pick things up where, and, and you know, we, we try to develop ourselves. Uh, and so being attentive is a huge key in broadcasting. Just listening would be a huge key. I think that we've lost in the world, to be honest. Uh, but listening to each other goes a long way. I know everyone's got their takes and they want to be right and they want to say what they want to say but understanding how to make the best conversation sometimes is the most important. And to me, good conversers listen more than anything. It's not about what they have to say. It's how, how can we extract the thought through a community? No, I'm uh, good, no. Brad. Yeah, I'm good too. Uh, I mean, he apologized for it. 
we're just uh, going to look forward to see how he moves on and how you guys uh, keep going, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now it, it'll be, uh, I, I, I was away, I was away this week. So uh, I heard off the Monday show and I missed everything else that kind of happened. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we, we've had takes that people don't agree with. Uh, this isn't really a take, but we're familiar with how to take heat and continue moving. Yeah. Right? You you kind of lean on those experiences in times when, you know, we, we say uh, Elias Pettersson's generational or and people disagree with that. Or we say Markstrom isn't going to cut it and he lives up to it. Whatever it is, uh, <coughs> as broadcasters, you learn how to take heat fairly easily. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a story. I've said this before of one of my first days in radio. Yeah, I, I worked in Grand Prairie. I came back to the office. My boss played me a bunch of voicemails of listeners that had both complained and praised me for the same report. So it's, and he just kind of said, people are going to love you and hate you for the exact same reason. So you can't really focus on necessarily the narrative that surrounds you. You just got to focus on yourself and people are going to find their ways to gravitate you and people are going to find their ways to slide away from you. <laughs> All right. So should, should we get, get into football now? Yeah. yeah, you want to talk Seahawks. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, obviously, we can't have Bick on without talk, not talking about the Seahawks. So the first thing I wanted to ask was, uh, what do you think about Clowney? Where is he going to end up? I saw there's a rumor from Sports Illustrated he might go to Dallas or New Orleans. And then the follow-up would be, what's realistic expectations for the Seahawks season without Clowney? Clowney is so bizarre because he should have cashed in like any free agent should have. Uh, but because of his own recovery – I, I, I'm almost at a loss of words of where he goes now. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a resolution until really close to training camp. And who knows when that is, to be honest, because we're all living in a pandemic, man, even the NFL. And I, I think it's hard pressed for any team to want to commit big money to anyone right now. Uh, so I just think that's going to go on and on and on and on until mid training camp and right before the season starts. The Seahawks, look, you have Russell Wilson, you're going to the playoffs. It's it's that simple. Uh, those are like the bare minimum expectations. Double-digit wins should be the expectations every time you go to quarterback like that. And you have a coach who meets a baseline of competency. Uh, my biggest issue with Pete Carroll is the team doesn't explore the upside enough, but they win games. That matters. Yeah. Whole deal. Yeah, definitely. We're always running it lots when we have Wilson. But, yeah. uh, and then to go along with the topic of quarterbacks, then uh, what do you think about the New England quarterback situation? And is there any chance that, speaking of tanking, all the tanking today, any chance that they kind of go after Trevor Lawrence in the upcoming draft next year? Uh, I don't think New England Patriots subscribe to tanking. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a certain belief in Jared Stidham. Uh, but like, I, I think – Tanking needs a rebrand. Like, like tanking needs a marketing manager to be like, <laughs> you know, we are not tanking, but we accept losses as they come. Like, we're trying something. Like, there's a difference between what Buffalo did uh, a few years ago when they got Eichel and the difference between how LA has accumulated all these assets. They lost naturally, right? I think if the Patriots lose, they're going to lose naturally. But they're not going out of their way to tank. That's not the organization. I hope Stidham's... Steps right in seamlessly so much. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be asked to be Tom Brady. That's, that's unreasonable. He's going to be asked to be Jared Stidham, and you can throw four-yard passes, and we make an offense out of this? Cool. I, like, well, Brady did. 
Yeah, like that's an an organization that better understands than any in sports of how to maximize output from people. Whatever their deficiencies are as a player, that's you know we were talking about self evaluation before. That's a team that excels at that the best. They know exactly how a guy can succeed and how it works in relation to 10 other guys on the field. In hockey, it's probably a bit tougher because line changes and everything going on. But when you look at franchises in hockey that understand how a player succeeds and puts them in those positions, that's how you win in the margin. Like that's how you get 2% out of every player and 2% out of every player slowly over time means you get X amount of wins. Oh, fair point. Football is definitely a different beast than hockey. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks uh, for coming on today, Bic. It's uh, been great to talk to you and go back and forth a little bit. Uh, before you go, is there anything uh, that you wanted to say? We always like to give our guests the last word. Uh, oh, man, uh, I should have prepared something. Shoot. Uh, <laughs> listen to Sports Night 650. Uh, you hear me noon to one. Uh, on Central, which is uh, usually Canuck Central. We're calling it Social Distance Central right now. Uh, and also from 4 to 7. Nice. Well, thanks, everyone. We're just going to throw to a couple easy, breezy uh, shootout questions here. Uh, so I'll, I'll get started. What's your favorite pizza? Was oh, this for me? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay, right on. Uh, pepperoni. Nice. Good choice. Classic for, yeah. Favorite drink? Uh... Currently, uh, Twin Sales Dat Juice. Oh, interesting. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Uh, for comedy, Seinfeld. For drama, The Wire. I appreciate you specifying because it's completely different. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both tier one for me. Yeah. Uh, your favorite song? John Legend, Save Room. Nice. Uh, your favorite podcast? Area 51, obviously. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> We're two for two on that one. I don't know how we've been able to yeah. suck people in, but sweet. Uh, and, and, and this one's kind of inspired by our, our, our guest last week. Uh, what's one thing we don't know about you? Oh, man. Uh, I'm, I'm, the weird thing about our show is we are very awkwardly honest on air, so we talk about a lot of stuff we probably shouldn't. Uh, one thing people don't know about me I uh, I spoke about cereal so much. I'm very into cereal. Uh, <laughs> man, that's a uh, I, I I I'm almost too obsessed with sports. Uh, I I don't know if I have depth to, to answer these types of questions. <laughs> <laughs> my sister was trying to suggest I watch another podcast yesterday, and I'm like, listen, if it's not hockey, I'm really not interested. Sorry. Yeah, I, I had a cousin call me recently. Uh, who you know I talk to a couple times a year. And he's like, hey, with no sports, are you just uninteresting now? And I was like, hey, like, I hope you're well, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I've been to you yeah. during this pandemic. But basically, I'd say, yes, I'm very uninteresting because uh, usually my days are filled with, uh, you know, hockey game, football game. Uh, man, something that people don't know about me. Uh, I might have to, like, come back on to give you a good answer here. Yeah, we'll have to <laughs> get you back on next time. That's the pride well, I take in Canucks Twitter. Like, you know, there hasn't been a game in, you know, nearly four months now, and we're still yeah. going. We, uh, we, we find different things to talk about, you know, prospects, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Chiefs of Amateur Scouting. Uh, you know, we find a way. So, you know, going back to the football thing, I, I love Good Morning Football. And I just have so much respect that they've got a three-hour morning show, 365, like through the offseason, 
they're still there. They're still interesting. Uh, to me, that's the, you know, where we, I, we, you know, should all want to get hockey on that same level. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think like day three of the pandemic, when we got sent home and sports canceled, I thought, man, what are we going to do? And then by day seven, like each of us has contributed something to the show daily. And we just think, you know what, we're actually going to be okay. Content, uh, it's a chance for our own personalities to thrive and people can learn more about us. Uh, but we haven't necessarily needed the sports. We'll take them back as soon as they come back. But <laughs> absolutely, I've actually been really impressed with uh, how everyone in media has actually responded in this time to try to at least shoulder some stress burden from listeners to say, hey, I actually do need a minute to step away from dealing with pandemic life. And if, if we can have, provide a laugh, then we can provide a laugh. We've gotten some really good content from kind of all avenues. Mm-hmm. It's been great. Uh, I'm I'm blown away by, by pretty much everyone in the sports realm to to be able to survive this. Awesome. Well, thanks again, uh, Bick. This has been awesome. Go uh, grab that drink now, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bick. From Sean Warren and the Area 51 podcast, thank you for listening, and please like, share, and follow along as we continue to grow. Join in the conversation on social media. We also now have new merchandise available on our own website. You can find it there on shop.spreadshirt.ca backslash area 51 hockey podcast, and you can grab some great merch. Thanks again, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. Cheers.